church. Move this over here into the light. You know, I, I think the reason they got wheels on this is because I was looking a little too old to carry the other one around. So somebody said, we better get the old guy some wheels lest he hurt himself carrying that thing. <laughs> Would you take just a second, turn to someone in front of you, back of you, near you, and just, uh, I know this is all you introverts just went, oh. It's, it'll be short and rather painless. Just tell them some one thing you're thankful for. It can be anything. It can be your cat for all I care. One thing you're thankful for. One thing. I see you non-participants. So now that you uh, sanguine folks have gotten a chance to talk, you can be good for the rest of the time, right? I know you. I am you. So um, I just want to uh, I want to remind you where we've been we've been taking a little jaunt into Matthew. Starting next week, we're going to begin a series of Christmas sermons called "Almost to Bethlehem." Called "Almost to Bethlehem." I think there will be some people who appear in this. Christmas series that you haven't really noticed or thought about as travelers that were headed almost to Bethlehem. And a couple of them actually get there. But as we talk about that in the, in the next few weeks, uh, by the 21st, we're going to get to Bethlehem. I promise. So uh, we have our, our Christmas Sabbath will be the 21st. The Sabbath closest to but not post-Christmas will be our Christmas Sabbath. And just, uh, just a reminder that uh, that is your Wear Your Ugly Sweater Day if you choose. Christmas Sabbath is coming out. It'll be the, tw- the 21st. But we'll start a series that this next week called Almost to Bethlehem. Today we're wrapping up. Um, as we've been walking through Matthew, remember we've been taking it in segments a little bit here and a little bit there. We're in Matthew chapter 13 today. A familiar passage for a lot of people who are familiar with the Scripture. Um, if you're looking for Matthew and you happen to have a Bible with you um, and you're not looking for it electronically, if you're looking for it electronic- electronically, remember it has two T's. Uh, if you're not... Matthew is in the New Testament. New Testament starts about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. There'll be a bunch of little short books. If you're not there quite yet, you'll be like maybe Zechariah, Malachi, something like that. If you get into Luke, John, something like that, you've gone a little too far. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to begin right at the beginning of that book. We won't actually go through all of the texts that are in it. The text will be on the screen that we're going to be talking about. I won't read them all, so you might want to... Uh, look at the ones that are there that I'm skipping just to see if I'm actually telling the story as it should be told. Um, would you bow your heads with me? I know we just prayed, but I'd like to ask one more blessing of God. Father, I pray that you would lay your hand upon each one of us as we open your word together, that we would have the guidance and blessing of your Holy Spirit, that we would have the infilling of your presence, and that the things spoken today will be truly heard by us, that we will hear by the power and authority of your Holy Spirit, take the things that you have for us into ourselves. And may they make the impact you desire for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verses 1 and 2, on the same day. I want to stay with the on the same day for just a second. What day is it? Does anyone remember what day it was last week? I heard one small voice say the Sabbath down here on my right-hand side. Correct. Gold star for whoever said that. Was it you, Tim? Pastor Tim paid attention last week. It was the Sabbath on the same day. So this is that day when they were walking through the field, apparently in the morning, pulling off some some heads of grain, eating them, and getting in trouble for having done that. Jesus said, if you understood, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have accused the blameless. He goes on to heal a couple of people on the Sabbath, and then a multitude is following him. He heals the whole group, and then he goes into a house. How do we know it goes into the house? Because this this chapter starts out with him coming out of a house. On the same day coming out of the house, a great multitude was gathering around Jesus and he got into a boat and sat down. So he's near Capernaum. He's near Peter's house. We don't know whose boat it is. It's probably Peter's. It might might be John's. He has friends with boats. 
He has friends with boats. No water skiing then, but he has friends with boats. As he gets into this boat, he makes it his pulpit, and he kind of slides out a little bit from shore, sits down in the boat, and begins to speak to this crowd. Huge crowd, probably thousands of people. And the reason he gets into the boat is because they're beginning to push him into the lake. And so rather than go walking into the lake, Jesus sits down in the boat and has uh, one of the disciples. At one point, if this is the same incident, we know it's Peter because he tells him to push off from the shore just a little bit. We're not sure if this is the same incident or not. Matthew doesn't report whose boat he's riding in this time. So he pushes off and he begins to speak. In the next few few. Uh, Actually, that's actually several verses. He goes through several of parable, the parables you're kind of familiar with. The one he starts out with is the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow. It would be a good thing for a sower to do. If you're a sower, you should be sowing, correct? The sower went out to sow. It's a little redundant. What's the sower's job? Anybody thought about what the sower's job is? I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the, the, the 21st century uh, equivalent. Yeah, anybody have one of those little plastic things you put seeds or fertilizer in, you walk around your lawn, start turning the handle? Anybody have one of those? Or one of those ones you push? If you're really wealthy, you push yours because you're just cool like that. If, you, if you're cranking that little thing that's on the side, the, the big frustration is the stuff doesn't go where you expect it to go. It kind of scatters everywhere. Well, the sower's job is to throw out the seed. They would typically have either a, a, a cloth that was sort of closed, tied together, so that there was forming a pouch hanging over the front. They would reach in, grab the seed, and cast it. Reach in, grab the seed, and cast it. Some of them would have a basket. And the, but the idea was to get as much seed evenly spread on the field as is entirely possible. The sower goes out to sow, and he's tossing out the seed. And he's tossing out the seed. And I can tell you, when I go around my lawn, I have two. I have a green one and a red one. I can never find the one I'm looking for, so the other one's usually available. And then I, go, I can walk around my lawn, and I can watch as this expensive fertilizer I'm trying to put on my lawn is flying off onto other stuff. And then I put some things on my lawn that are supposed to kill weeds. And every once in a while, I see it hit some plants that it's not supposed to hit. And I don't tell Brenda because... Sometimes they turn out a little brown in spots because the sower went out to sow and some of that stuff he was sowing went where it wasn't supposed to go. It lands in places you're not intending. I have some of the most beautiful grass growing next to my lawn <laughs> where I seeded it last year and it's having all kinds of trouble where it's supposed to be. But I'm telling you, the path next to my lawn is beautiful. The sower went out to sow and he was casting out the seed. And as he was throwing out the seed, some of the seed fell on the path next to the lawn, just like mine. Only mine had been freshly dug up. This one is a path that gets walked all the time. It gets walked on and it's a hard path. So the seed lands, it bounces, it rolls, and eventually it stops. But it can't really get a footing there because it's a hard path. Birds come by, pick it off. Some of that seed that he's throwing lands in soil that's not been properly tended yet. You know, in Israel, if you were to go, you'll see there are piles of rocks everywhere. That is one of the rockiest places you've ever wanted to see. And in order to get a field to really be abundantly productive, you have to pull out the rocks. Some of you have been in the Napa Valley? It's like that. In the Napa Valley, you have all of those, all of those little uh, uh, walls that are made of rocks. Those rocks came out of the field. They didn't import any rocks. They were all just right there at hand. And so they make these rocks into piles and create these, create these nice, beautiful, actually, little fences along the edges of the fields as they clear the rocks out of the, path, or out of the field. Some of these seeds land in places where there's still too many rocks, and they hit. And, you know, the rocks help keep the soil at a nice, even temperature. The temperature, the soil's kind of shallow, so they get some roots down quick. They start working toward that warm stone beneath. And as soon as they hit the rock, they're done for. They just can't do it. Sun comes up the next day. The roots are hitting that warm rock. The hot sun hits those, those fresh seed or fresh sprouts, and they just die off. He says some of this stuff falls into that portion of the field that has not yet been cultivated at all. It's just a weedy patch along the edge. And it lands in there with all the weed seeds that have fallen from last year, some of the dead weeds that are still standing there, all gray and brown like California weeds after the summer. 
And as it, as it lands in there, it starts to grow. It takes hold. The soil that grows weeds, it can grow seeds too. And as it begins to pop up, it begins to find that the weeds are in competition with it for the nutrients in the soil. And the soil has no capacity to support the seed. Therefore, the seed gets choked out and dies. And some of it, hopefully most of it, if you're a good sower, you keep your seed where it's supposed to go, right? If that's your job, put the seed in the cultivated field. That's your job. So hopefully most of it lands there and it begins to grow and is tended by the farmer through the, through the summer and in through the rains and all through, all through the harvest time. And it produces some 30, 60, and 100 fold. Some of those little seeds are extremely productive. And Jesus stops. It's a whole story. It's a story about farming. That's all it is. It's just a tale about seeds and nobody can, He doesn't explain it. He doesn't do anything. He just stops there. And then he, I don't know what happens. He, he, he somehow kind of stops and moves on and the, the disciples get him by himself. So apparently he goes for a drink of water or they move out a little bit from the shore while everybody's having a snack. I don't know what's happening. Maybe it's break time with the movies, but there's somehow kind of a break here. And as there's a break, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, okay, well, I don't know. What are you talking about with this whole thing? Because Jesus ended this with almost a tone. I don't know. You could almost call it a threatening tone. Jesus ends this farming story with, he who has an ear, let him hear. Doesn't that sound like he should be pointing at you? He who has an ear, let him hear. You and you, you and you. Right? It's kind of a kind of a heavy statement. I just told you a farming story. Understand? Right? You get it, right? Right? Oh. And then he takes a break. He goes on break. I don't know, maybe it's been four hours and he gets his ten minutes. I don't know what happened, but he took a break. And the disciples catch him during the break. Now, it's in three different places the story is made. In this one, he says, why do you speak in parables? In Mark, he says, when he was alone, those around him asked him about the parable. And Luke, he says, then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So remember, Luke's the last one written. So Luke probably talked to as many people as he could to get, yeah, what actually happened here is you guys didn't know what he was talking about either. He said, you as an ear, let him hear. And you guys had no ears. Said, you guys didn't understand it either, so you went and talked to him. Jesus goes on and he explains some stuff there that there's a, there's a great piece. I'm going to skip the whole thing. I'm sorry. I'm going to. There's a great section here about parables and why he tells parables. I would invite you to read it in the message version because it clarifies it the best. So if you're going to go check this out, check it out in the message version because the way it translates the Greek Instead of this coming off as Jesus saying, I don't want everybody to get the truth, so I'm kind of hiding from some of them, it actually comes off different, and I'll let you find that yourself. So go ahead and take a look at it. But what's cool about this is because these guys finally admit that they don't understand, we get a translation. We get to see how Jesus explains the parable to the disciples. And so we find out that Jesus is going to tell him, the seed is the word of the kingdom. So how are you doing so far? You got it? The whole thing makes sense now? That is the opening sentence. The seed is the word of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus has been preaching the gospel of the kingdom since the beginning of Matthew. That's the story, right? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So we're back in chapter 13. The seed is the word about the kingdom. The seed is the teachings about the kingdom. And so when you look at what he's saying, he's saying that what's happening here is the word of God is being cast out into the world and people are not all getting it. And everybody around him, certainly the disciples understand immediately what that means because they have seen that not everybody's getting it. They have looked in the eyes of the Pharisees who when they hear Jesus speak, they just get mad. They have looked at the eyes of people who hear Jesus and get excited about it, but nothing happens in their life. They just smile and happy and they go on their way. They know that not everybody gets it. Some people are angry with them just for plucking some, some heads of grain out, of, out in the field, which was perfectly legal according to Moses. 
They get what that means. The seed is the word of the kingdom. The news, they, and, and the disciples knew about kingdom, but they knew that kingdoms were not like seeds. For 700 years, how long? For 700 years, Israel has been under one authority or another, beginning with the Babylonians. 700 years ago, Babylonians controlled Israel. The Babylonians got put down by the Persians, but that didn't mean Israel got free. They were just controlled by the Persians. They get sent home. They actually get to go all the way back home, but they don't get to go home and be free. They get to go home and still be ruled by the Persians. After the Persians have been beaten by the Greeks, they get to be under the Greeks. And the Greeks are overseeing what's going on with them. And then there's a negotiation during that time when the Hasmonean kingdom, some, some Jewish leaders get, get, the whole, get hold on the, the leadership of Israel for a short time. For, well, short for all of history. It's about 200 years, as long as we've been around. And the Hasmoneans rule for a while, but they still rule only under the permission of the Greeks, a negotiated permission from the Greeks to rule the territory. And after the Greeks come the Romans. They know about kingdoms. And they know about seeds. And they know that kingdoms are not like seeds. Persians don't plant seeds and suddenly those seeds sprout up into a new kingdom. No, they bring armies. They drop bombs. They burn things down. They kill people. They take over by authority and power. They don't plant seeds. And Jesus says the word is the seed of the kingdom. Wait a second. Think about it for a second. What were they looking for? They were looking for somebody like those Persians, right? They were looking for somebody like Alexander the Great to come riding through and sweeping people away, dropping bombs on all those people, kicking them out, killing them if necessary, and taking over taken names. And Jesus says, oh, the kingdom comes by seeds, words, tossed out, and not everybody even gets it. And so he continues his explanation. Verse 19. When anyone hears the news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it's ju- it, it just remains on the surface. So the evil one, who's the evil one? Satan. When the, so the devil sees it. The devil sees that's what's happening with them. And he swoops in <coughs> and he plucks it right up. So that some people's hearts are hardened. So let's stop for a second and talk about this hard heart. How do you get a hard heart? A person becomes hardened in their heart When repeated sin is unconfessed and unrepented of, you just keep coming back and doing the same thing, and you basically tell God, I don't care what you think. Your heart hardens in that situation. It has to. Because the emotional toll of having a soft heart in that situation is too hard for us to take. And so in this repeated cycle of sin, unrepented, unconfessed, your heart begins to harden. Your heart begins to become difficult. You've run into people like this. You've run into people that when, you hear, when they hear about God, they just get mad at you. When you say something about God, they don't want to talk to you. Shut up, I don't want to hear about that. Something has happened in their life. Something has caused a hardness in them. Sometimes something has happened that someone else has done that has called a, caused a hardness in them. You know what, you know what happens when... You know, what, you know how you break that hardness? If that's you, you know how you break that hardness? Something bad happened to you and you're angry about it and there's a hardness in you. You know how you break that hardness? Forgiveness. You see, if if someone else won't repent of their sin, the only way you get rid of the hardness in you is to ask God's forgiveness for them. And you you have to really come. This is like all of our repentance. It has to be done over and over again. It's a process of growth through that through that through that problem. As you deal with it and as they deal with it, you're saying to God, look, if it's up to me, if their sin, the thing they did to me is what will keep them out of heaven, then I don't want them out of heaven. I would like you to release them, forgive them, let them go. 
I don't want this sin to be the determining factor on their being lost. That's forgiveness. That's, that's hardcore, deep spiritual, very mature forgiveness. But that will soften your heart back up. He says a hard heart is a bad thing. It's a rough thing because the devil is waiting for that seed to bounce on hard ground. As soon as he does, as soon as it does, he swoops in, takes it up, lest it germinate and begin to break up even the hardest of soil. Jesus is talking to believers in this group. Jesus is talking to the church. So I want to talk to you today. I wore my suit and my tie. Because if you have a hard heart, you're in a dangerous situation this morning. If you were dragged in here by your husband or your wife or even your kids made you feel guilty enough to get you here, if you're here and what's going on right now is, is just bouncing right off of you, and, you're, and it's bouncing off of you not because something, something that you're out of control of, something you can't do, it's something you have no control over. It's bouncing off of you because you're cranky. You're, there's a piece of you that's a clenched fist. And you refuse to receive the grace and the gift of God because your fist is tightly clenched. Remember the man at the beginning of the story whom Jesus heals on the Sabbath? Everybody gets mad at him. Remember he had a he had a withered hand. It was all tight and clenched and incapable of holding any of the gifts of God. You know when you have a closed fist, you have an empty access point. And you know how Jesus left him? He said, "Stretch out your hand." And Jesus left him in the posture of a person who can receive the blessings of God. We have to let go of some things. If you brought somebody to church with you who hurt you when you were nine, let them go here today now. I'm serious. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous to you. And oh, by the way, they're not here. Some of them are dead. Some of them you'll never see, and that's probably a good thing if you'll never see them again. But if you came here today dragging some terrible event in your life into the present, let it go. It is time to forgive, maybe again. Probably again if you're in this room. This is that that decision to say, God, if what was done to me is the deciding factor, and whether or not that person makes it into the kingdom. I'd like to let it go. I place them in your hand. But I want no longer justice from me. I forgive. If you're here today, your heart is hardened because there is some sin in your life that you will not. I notice I did not say cannot. I said will not let go of. Because the thing you think you cannot let go of, God can take care of. But the thing you will not let go of, God has no access to. So if there's something in your life you need to confess and repent of, You don't have to stand up and dance around about it right now. A quiet conversation between you and God is all it takes. Just let it go. Give it back and ask for the authority of the Holy Spirit, the power of the presence of God in your life to make the change necessary for your heart to be softened. He can turn clenched fist into an open hand, a stony heart into a soft place where the seed can grow. It's a simple story about a farm. Guy throws some seeds out. Get it? 
the story goes on. <coughs> Jesus said, the seed in rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it. Catch the next word, next words, with joy. This is legit. These people get it. There's, a, there's an emotional transformation. There's a cool thing that goes on. They receive it with joy. They receive it with gladness. They receive it with joy. They're happy to have had it happen. They're here, they're here, they're here and they're enjoying the experience. You, you know people like this. People who come in and they just, they revel in what God is doing. And they come in on, on Sabbath morning. Maybe they sit with you. Maybe they're your husband. Maybe they're your wife. Maybe they're one of your kids. They love church. They love singing. They love hearing the word preached. They love looking into the scripture. And they walk out the door and before they get to their car, they're right back to where they started. They're having a great time. They're just not making any commitments. They're enjoying what God has to throw out there. They're enjoying the things that God is giving to them, but they don't hang on to it. They love things. They experience things. If you are a person who is very emotionally engaging, this is you, man. This is your world. You're emotionally touched by things. I understand. I am that guy. I can come in and really enjoy something and really feel it in my heart and I can walk out and not be transformed. That's this guy. That's you and me. They walk in, they enjoy all of this stuff and they love it. They really do love it. These people can can really get emotionally connected. They can love you and they can love you and they can love you all at one time. Because they're just they just love the thing going on. They love being in love. They love feeling the emotion. They love the experience. But they're not making the connection. They're not growing deeper. They're not connecting with God. There's no transformational authority. There's nothing going on that's going to put a root down to make things work when the stresses come. You know, they love being a Christian at work when everybody else at work is a Christian. But if the tide turns, if they get a new boss who doesn't like Christians or is a little opposed to us or isn't a Christian at all, they jump ship. The person who loves the experience without the transformation, without the roots to stand against it. Do you know what the biosphere is, that biosphere 2 down in Arizona? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, those rest of you look it up on Google. It's this, uh, this scientific experiment to create basically the, atmosphere, the, the, the biospheres of the world inside a glass enclosure. And, uh, and they actually had a group of people, I think there were about six or eight of them, that lived in there for two years. They didn't kill each other. It was a lucky thing. They had to quit because somebody was going to do it soon enough. But the biosphere is supposed to be the perfect environment. And they discovered it had a problem. Well, it had a lot of problems. But this problem the trees that were growing in the biosphere would get tall and they would look fine. But then if they got out of balance, they'd just bend over like they were made of rubber. They discovered that the stresses of the wind on a tree are necessary to harden it and strengthen it and make it stand up for itself. Stresses in your life are, are important for the hardening of your backbone. The difficulties in your spiritual life, the very things that cause this one without deep roots to fall apart, to fall away, and to walk away from God, the very things that are working in this against this person are necessary in your spiritual life in order to make you strong. They're necessary in your physical life in order to make you strong. Some of you have been to the gym. I can see it in your faces and in your arms. Those of you who have, you know what happens, right? You go in there, you lift the weights, and then you, you actually are doing a little bit of damage to your muscles. You're kind of tearing your muscles just a little bit. And then when they heal, they heal differently, and they heal with more strength. The same thing is true in a tree. When the wind blows in that tree, right, as, it, as it's swaying in the wind, trying to resist the wind, some tearing takes place. And the new tissues that are formed inside that tree grow in a way that make it stronger, make it able to stand. If you keep your tree tied up forever and never has, it never has to support itself in the wind, your tree actually becomes weak. At some point, you have to pull away those sticks that are there holding it up. Isn't it interesting that you you take a stick from a tree that's strong and you stand it alongside a tree that is weak until the tree that is weak is able to stand for itself. Is that not the picture of church? So some of you are just sticks out in the garden holding up a weak little tree until it gets its own strength. 
And some of you are weak little trees. And there's some strong stick next to you, helping you when the wind blows. The wind that blows and the stress that created that is created is a blessing from God. And these guys, because it was just an emotional experience, because it was just a shallow little thing, they love doing it. They just don't make any decisions. They, they, they're just not transformed by it. They love getting involved emotionally. Tears are running down their cheek in the middle of the church service. And then they're unchanged. Jesus goes on. <clears throat> oh, wait. Before Jesus, G.K. Chesterton. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. Old English for not been tried and found to be have a problem, found to not be successful. It has been found difficult and left untried. Those who try it find out that it works. Those who try it find out that it works. Those who see that it's tough, some of them don't even try it. When, it, when it's tried, it works every single time. When it's tried, I promise you, it works. Then Jesus said, <clears throat> the one who receives the one who receives the word among the thorns, the one who receives the word, word among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Weird thing happened to me this morning. I think God did it to me just so I'd have this illustration for you. Because the cares of the world are kind of hard to explain sometimes. But at about 2.11, I woke up angry at somebody who did not exist. I was having a dream. In my dream, I was in a shoe store. You can pretty much be certain that was a dream because I don't go into shoe stores. In fact, if I have to buy shoes, I'm going into a department store of some sort. I'm standing there. Well, actually, I found... Two pairs of shoes. I walked up to the counter because the only person in the shoe store was a guy standing behind the counter where the register was, which was a little irritating by itself at 2 o'clock this morning. I put the shoes on the counter and I said, I, I told him I needed two size, my, mother, my wife's size. Can you see your wife's size, shoe size in public? I guess you probably can't see, you can't see anything like that. I, I said, I want these for my wife. I told him what her shoe size was. I was buying shoes for my wife, which is another proof that this was a dream, not a reality. <laughs> I would never take that risk. The man at the counter got irritated with me for asking for something to buy. I don't know if it bothers you, but when somebody, when I'm trying to give somebody money, and they're cranky with me, ticks me off pretty quick. And then I said, he said, are, are you in our computer? And in my dream, I had spent $1,000 at this store in the last month, so it was clearly a dream bordering on a nightmare. <laughs> and he's looking in his little computer, and he says, I can't find you. And I said, well, I should be in there. I spent a thousand bucks in here. Well, I can't find you. It's like I don't exist because I'm not in his computer. I'm getting a little irritated just thinking about it. He takes me to his boss who apparently does nothing but sit behind a desk and solve problems like this because this guy creates them. He looks at the guy, the boss says, and I says, I can settle this in five minutes. It's like there's a little bet between these two dudes. That's when I woke up mad at a guy who doesn't exist in a situation that's completely preposterous. And I couldn't go back to sleep 
because I was angry with the cares of this world. Get it? Stupid stuff that has no consequences on eternity gets us all riled up. We get caught up in things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, and they cause a distraction in our lives, the cares of this world. We get caught up in stuff, other people's arguments, other people's stuff, problems. People say things on the news that make you mad. People say things in TV that make you mad. People say things on the radio that make you mad. Your neighbors say things that make you mad. And none of it really matters. Your neighbor paints his house a weird color. Is that going to touch the kingdom of God? Unless you let it. You see, the cares of the world crowd out the good things of the garden. They're the weeds. And then he gets into your business in a big way. See, this is the button up the coat moment. He says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Listen to the phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. Do you know what deceitfulness is? It's lying. You know what riches do? You know how riches lie? They promise things they can't deliver. Riches promise things they can't deliver. Money promises things it cannot deliver. Money can't buy you love. Even the Beatles knew. Money can't buy you happiness. It can't buy you peace. It can't buy you health. Money can't buy any of the things that matter in the kingdom. He said, look. The cares of the world and getting caught up believing that wealth can make an impact on your happiness will cause a weed that chokes out the capacity of the kingdom to affect your life. Because this, this one here, this, this one is a person who gets the seed and the seed begins to grow and there's a good prospect here there's a good possibility here and Jesus says guys it's sprouting it looks good it's doing well and then in come the weeds the crazy thing about the weeds in this place is that those weeds are planted by us you know he doesn't He doesn't say there are no cares in the world. Sure, there are cares in the world. But the cares of the world have to be measured against the values of the kingdom. The cares of the world have to be measured against the values of the kingdom. And kingdom choices have to be made. He doesn't actually say anything bad about riches. Except when you allow the deceitful promises that it cannot fulfill to become the things that get hold of you. Except when you start believing things about wealth that that it can't do. He said the problem is when you insert these things into the garden, the good seed of the kingdom, it's crowded out by them. And it chokes and it dies. You know, I just want you to know that Jesus is in your business, not me. That's all. This is all. Whoa, see, he's talking to you right now. This is all about having space in the garden to grow the fruit of God. Now, can we, can, can we talk about a couple of things here just more? Can I just irritate you just a tiny bit more? We have all these things pop up in our life at one time or another. Right now, some of you have a hard heart spot. God has been trying to work with you on something for a long time. Some of you have been, have been just, God has been pounding on you. You know how God pounds on you? His Holy Spirit speaks to you, right? You hear that still small voice and it gets louder and louder until you know it's not still and it's not small. 
And then one of his friends, one of the people who loves you and loves God, comes up to you and says, hey, God's been impressing me to talk to you about this. And you're like, oh, you're tightening that fist a little tighter. I don't want to talk to God about this. This is one of my favorite things. I don't want to let go of that. All of us have all of these things. Some of us have areas in our life where we are shallow with God. We are shallow with God. We don't want to go deep in this area because we know to go deep in this area is going to mess us up. We're going to have to make some changes. There's going to have to be some repentance and some transformation. And we are shallow with God in that area. And we refuse to let it go deep. And the the word I'm using is we for a reason. And some of us have gotten caught up by things that are so unrelated to the kingdom. That they've crept into our life and they've stolen our joy. And they're, stolen our, they're stealing our faith. And we're finding ourselves unable to pray, unable to lean on God, unable to trust because we're starting to doubt the seed because of the weed. Jesus then says, but a lot of the seed falls on good soil. That sower did a pretty good job. He got like 80% of the seed on the ground that was plowed already and ready to rock. He got, he got it on the ground that we can water. He got it on the ground that we're tending. He got it about 80% of the seed hit the right spot. And that seed starts to grow and it puts down roots and it stands against the wind and it stands against the heat of the day and it stands and it grows stronger and it's stronger and the stalk gets taller and it begins to produce fruit and that fruit grows and develops and it becomes so much more than what it started out to be. You know those little seeds down in that corner? Those are redwood tree seeds. Now, they're huge on that screen. They're about the size of two match heads. A redwood tree, a California redwood tree, comes from a seed about the size of two match heads. When when that tree reaches maturity, its fruit production is phenomenal. A mature California redwood tree can produce 10 million seeds in one season. It's a wonder we're not blanketed with the things everywhere. The problem is that redwood seed doesn't have a sower. It's just going wherever it goes, and a lot of it lands on some unfertile ground. The kingdom of God is like a seed that He plants in your heart. It grows, and it develops, and it becomes so much more than anyone ever imagined. The kingdom of God is not like the Persians or the Greeks rolling in and destroying things. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It gets dropped into the right soil, and when it drops into the right soil, it's transformative. Do you know that everything God gives you in your life, every gift God gives you in your life, or, or most, 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 most gift God gives you in your life, He gives you in seed forms? Very few of us are given great things from God immediately because most of us can't handle it. We have to see it grow up. We have to see it get root. We have to see it change and transform and become in our lives over time or it will destroy the very faith that's meant to grow. Most of what God gives you is given in seed form. And when He gives you an apple seed, there's a tree in the future. When He gives you a redwood seed, there's a tree in the future. When He gives you a a wheat seed, there's a stalk in the future. Whatever God gives you comes normally in seed form and that seed begins to grow and that seed begins to transform. That seed begins to make a difference in its community, in its neighborhood and it begins to grow and it begins to develop and it begins to throw out other seeds and it begins to become a productive place where many, many, many more things happen. You know, an entire orchard of apple trees comes from one seed. You get a seed planted. And if you just leave one there and let apples fall, there will be more and more and more apples. And they'll spread outside the canopy of that tree. And then they'll spread outside the canopies of those trees. And they'll spread outside the canopies of those trees. And left to themselves, an entire orchard can grow from one seed. You see, God brings you His greatest gifts in the forms of seeds. And they are transformational in your life. 
and they transform who you are and how you affect the world around you. They're given to you as seeds. Our problem with seeds is that seeds only come to full harvest at the speed of the farmer. They don't grow fast most of the time. You know radishes? Radishes grow fast. And when you're done, you've got a hard little bitter, spicy red thing. Very, very little nutrition in it. It does add some flavor to your salad, but it's just a radish. Oak trees, redwood trees, they take time. And when they start spreading seed, they can spread a forest. They can feed a forest. They can house a forest. The seeds that God's planting in your life in 20 years may transform everything that you know about yourself. The seeds that God's planting in your life today will have a kingdom impact in weeks and months and perhaps years in the future. What seed is God planting? Is God making you uncomfortable right now where you are? Is God beginning to say to you, you need to make a change in your life? Is God saying to you, hey, a new direction, a new purpose, a different approach to life is on your list? He may be saying to the, you to the, he may be saying this to you at 17, and he may be saying to this to you at 70. He does not care how old you are when he's planting seeds. Now he's not going to plant a hundred year old tree in a 70 year old life, right? But he might start the forest. You may never see the full fruit of that tree, but he might start the forest with you and the next seed that drops, drops in someone else's life. And that begins to reproduce and begins to transform into a much bigger thing. Churches have been started by one seed. There was a pastor who was preaching in a revival series, an evangelistic series down in the south. Some of you may remember the story. They work hard. The pastor of the local church and this pastor who's preaching are working really hard. They're trying to win souls. They're trying to get people into the baptistry. They're trying really hard. But this, this, Baptist, this, this whole baptismal experience was a failure. They worked all that time, weeks and weeks and weeks. One guy got baptized. One lousy guy. Well, it's just one guy. You can't call that a success. If you send that report to your boss, he's like, one guy. One guy, come on. That's the best you can do. Six months of working at one guy. Crazy thing about that one guy. That one guy turns out to be a preacher. That one guy does the same work. He goes out and he starts talking to people about God. That one guy... That one guy turns out to be Billy Graham's father. And the preacher, the failure preacher, died long before the forest began to sprout. And the seeds began to be planted all around the world. What is God making you uncomfortable about today? What is he trying to do? What land is he plowing up? What soil is he beginning to disturb in your life? What is he doing in you that's calling you to a different purpose for, the, for tomorrow and the next day and maybe the next 20 or 30 years? He's got a seed. He's ready to drop in as soon as he gets that soil cultivated a little bit. And you know, you break up the seed and you throw in the manure, so expect some manure coming. If the smell is not already on you, it's coming because it'll be necessary for the seed. What is God doing in your life? Where is he taking you? We've talked about a lot of seeds and a lot of soil today. All of us face and deal with these four qualities of our receptiveness to God. All of us are bent towards one or the other. The cares of the world get certain people. The lightheartedness of taking things too easy and not taking them in seriously gets some other people. The hardness inside of us is easy to hang on to for certain people. But God's got a plow that will break it all up if we will let him. If we will trust him. If we'll submit to him.
And then he's going to throw. He's going to throw on some fertilizer. And the soil is going to soften. And he's going to drop in a seed. And when he does, he will change the direction of where you're going now and lead you on a new path. And it will be so cool to see the fruit of that seed. Let's pray. Father God, it is clear to us that you are attempting big things and better things our tomorrows that you never stop tending the garden and you never stop planting seed I pray that you would make our hearts receptive we each wish to submit to the plow today as you're beginning to disturb the soil of our mind and thinking, giving us thinking about a different purpose or making us uncomfortable with where we are at the moment, as you're beginning to disturb the soil of our heart, as you're beginning to, to just scratch the surface of the change you have in front of us, we want to submit. We want to submit to that plow today. And we look forward to the seed. In faith, we will trust you for the germinating and the blessing and the transforming and for the harvest. In Jesus' name.